then it actually the icing the day up should become uh let us say in the very very beginning you've got to figure out how to do it mm -hmm. after that you'll get into a routine mm -hmm. and then in fact part of the routine is to begin to remember oh i'm going to take 10 minutes out now yeah Okay, so, so it adds to the practice. Mm -hmm. So that adds to the practice a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, instead of having to remember just once a day, now we're remembering six times a day. Yes. yes. Okay, so that's a very good point uh, to, to start with. Um, and that I'm glad that you're running right into that, but it will, in fact, uh, have the benefit of help help you to organize your day as mm -hmm. well as help you to remember. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so it has that dual benefit. Yes. Of, yes. of breaking it up into small chunks like that. But but as I said uh, before, that that we're going to uh, slice this loaf of bread called a day into much thinner slices. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, uh, in in the way of, um, well, people who think that they're going to get benefit out of their sitting practice, what benefit are they going to get? Think about that. Is sitting on the floor, whatever you're doing there, going to get you ready for what happens throughout the day? No, unless you bring the practice to the day itself. And how exactly are we going to do that? Actually, I was kind of thinking about it today and yesterday. It's like I, 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 I started uh, searching something uh, about the uh, Dharma on the day, like in, in the routine. And I found a quote by Dojin, the Zen master. And he said that, uh, that you have to see the Dharma in everyday practice, like everyday moments. And I tried like to remain the most mindful that I can throughout the day. But I, I can't see, seem to do that without like bringing some... Uh, to banalize my attention, I don't know. Like, in one moment, my attention got uh, this quality of being very bright and sharp, but in another moment, I, even though I am still aware, I'm still kind of dull. Like, I have many qualities on the attention. I can't, like, sustain the top-notch quality attention. It's like very shaky and precisely so. This is why um, an, another way of, of saying it is, is that if someone sits for an hour a day, once a day, day in and day out, that means that and they work really hard at it. Mm -hmm. That means that they're working really hard at it 
for one hour a day, and for 23 hours a day, they let the mind just go wherever yeah. it wants to go. Yeah. So breaking it up into smaller chunks like this has the advantage of more often we're bringing the mind to heal. Mm -hmm. Now this is an important point in the sense that um, when we talk about it as a, as a mindfulness practice, I think that that's far too limiting to what the actual practice is. Um, and that the danger, in fact, is, is that students can allow their practice to become mindfulness in the sense of, even when they're practicing it off the cushion, they're still just watching what's going on yeah. without actually taking control of it. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like, uh, uh, I use this often, forgive me if I used this example before, it, it's, uh, it's fitting. Imagine that you're standing in the road and here comes a big truck coming, mm -hmm. bearing right down on you. You have three choices, and that is to let it run over you, step out of the way, or do like Popeye and try to stop the thing. Mm -hmm. Now let's look at that analogy in the sense of hindrances. Okay. Are we going to be mindful of the hindrances but still allow them to be there? No. All right, are, are we going to force them to stop? I don't think Probably that's doable. Not. Yeah. But what we can do is, is that the mindfulness or the actual sati has to be a strong enough sati so that mm -hmm. you can pop right out of it. Okay. Pop right out of that hindrance. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's that clear seeing. Aha, I see you, Myra. That whole phrase that I just said just pops you right out. I'm doing this all the time now. Got you, Mara. Got you, Mara. <laughs> got you. Uh huh. Exactly so. And when you say that, you can say it now with a big grin because you're feeling the success of being able to do that. Yeah. So, so this is the important then uh, aspect that that Shanti merely kicks this thing off. Mm hmm. But that we have to have much of the eightfold noble path in in play. Not just sati, but also take the effort mm. to take. So uh, let us say it this way: uh, You are mindful when you're mindful of the breath, and you're mindful of the breath when it's a long, deep in breath and a long, deep out breath. So if you reflect upon what is your breath right now, that'll determine then whether you are mindful in this moment or not. Mm. Because mm -hmm. this is actually anapanasati. So step one of anapanasati is knowing that you're taking an in-breath, a long in-breath. Even though I have to pay attention to you, I should be paying attention at the same time about my breathing? Well, I am. I'm at I the see. top of an in-breath right now, and I got that way uh, intentionally so that I could speak for a while with that one breath before I run out of it. Mm. Mhm. But many people, when they're speaking, they just let the breathing be a kind of automatic. Yeah. Rather than having every breath being, there it is. 
That's part of the wakefulness practice. So you and, are... And, 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 and it's important to note that every step of the 16 steps of Anapanasati has the quality of number one as a skill to be developed. And number two, that skill is to be developed while one is mindful of the breathing. And it's stated like that right there in the sutta. Mm. And a lot of people miss that. It just says, oh, this is so drudgery. Oh, they just keep going on and on and on about it. No, it's actually making the point that, for instance, um, uh, sukha is to be developed while we're mindfully breathing in and mindfully breathing out. And we develop sukha that way. An example of that would be, oh, what a beautiful breath this is. And then on the out breath would be, oh, it's so relaxing to let it out. Mm-hmm. Okay, like so breathing in with I... ecstasy and breathe out with ecstasy, like it says in the sutta? Yes. Exactly. Okay. I wouldn't use the word ecstasy, but I can use the word sukha, and you can plug in the word ecstasy if you want to. For many people, the word ecstasy is way too highfalutin and beyond human capability. Mm -hmm. But if you can use it at the kind of ordinary level that you can get great joy out of breathing in and breathing out, okay? So this is, in fact, how one would develop sukha. Yeah. is with the breathing, mindfully breathing in and mindfully breathing out. And then we could also add to that the thoughts of, I can do this, I can keep it going, this is a wonderful state to be in, and then I breathe out. Okay? And so that's a way that we begin to develop that attitude, the attitude of can do. We can continue to do this. I like it very much, and I'm going to keep it going, by darn you. It's kind of that attitude that we begin to develop. Okay. All right? So that attitude of the winner, the attitude that just, I mean, people go to races, they have Olympics, everybody wants to have that feeling of being a champion. Many people climb Mount Everest. Many people die on the side of Mount Everest wanting to get to the top of it just so that they can get that feeling. Mm -hmm. People jump out of airplanes in all kinds of silly suits, including parachutes, just because they want that feeling. Yeah. Some of us get really, really big motorcycles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because yeah. we want that feeling of exhilaration, okay? This is a sensation that we think can only be gotten through, let us call it the manipulation of gravity. Mm -hmm. But there are ways, in fact, to, to manipulate our perception of gravity in such a way so that we can create these exhilarating feelings for ourselves. I see. I see. And so this is one of the ways of thinking about it is, is that we can just sit here and just feel, oh, wow, this is so good. <laughs> I see. I see. It's kind of like uh, molding the, the perceptions itself instead of like bringing new perceptions in so we can feel like it's, right, it's exactly. like being active instead of 
reacting to the um let us say it yes we do begin to mold perception precisely because we're using more recent valuable and wholesome information to do the processing with including one's right view mm -hmm. as opposed to using the perception system that we have that we built up over past over time mm -hmm. But in fact, it's fairly clear in the suttas, though I haven't ever seen it specifically stated, but that not only do we rid the hindrances, but as we do so, we also begin to uh, obliterate the past itself. Obliterate? Like obliterate. crush? Let it go. Airy-fairy. Burn it down. Up in okay. smoke. Uh, no longer useful, that what we really want to uh, use for our sense of perception is more basic current knowledge that has this, um, let us say, it has the quality of it stands up to the facts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and that uh, that kind of, uh, in, in a way, you can say that it makes sense. And so when we begin to see that a lot of stuff that we do doesn't make sense anymore, mm -hmm. then we change the way that we perceive things about it because it doesn't make sense. An example of that is a young Christian raised in the church, and then he begins to change his, uh, he gets some new information. And now he begins to process with that new information and, and it, after a few months, he begins to have his whole attitude changed about the church and the whole way he was raised. Okay? That kind of transformation is exactly the kind of transformation that we want for one's whole life. Mm hmm With the Dhamma. It's, well, let's okay. turn this whole show around because we haven't been looking at things well enough. And one of the new ways that we can look at it is, is that things are really great right now. Mm-hmm. Because, in fact, they really are. Isn't this a marvelous place, this, this planet Earth? Gives us yeah. everything we need to survive, and we got everything we need, so why do we go around being afraid? Because, in fact, I feel perfectly safe. And so, in a way... It's like, can we conquer our fear? Or, when I say conquer it, I kind of make me be friends with it. That's a good way of saying it. Tame it, like a pet dog, mm -hmm. rather than killing it. That's not the kind of conquering it that I mean. Mm -hmm. Because we do want to have that, a bit of fear if one becomes completely fearless, then he can walk into dangerous situations and he does not perceive the danger. Yeah. And so, basically what we mean by that is, uh, uh, this is wisdom. Eventually we begin to use the higher frontal cortex and wisdom and ability to see things as they truly are, which means that we can perceive and see directly danger rather than having to feel it. I see. All right. But most of the time, we're going to continue to work with fear 
until uh, we can manage it easily so that we are not afraid most of the time. Because, in fact, this whole quality of sukha has, is a state of fearlessness when we feel safe and secure, successful. This sukha, as they breathe in, it's a really nice day. Well, not if I have to get up and run away because somebody's chasing me. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, we have to feel secure. Okay. So this is an important point, that we begin to feel secure, we begin to practice, literally, how we want to live our lives. And we do that about six times a day for about ten minutes. And so, literally, how you want to live your life is the kind of thoughts that you would have with, as I breathe in, I am that which I want to be. And as I breathe out, I'm really satisfied with that idea. That this is, in fact, who I really am inside. And sitting here and thinking about it really helps. Because what I'm basically doing here is making a slight change away from it, from the raw, ignorant feeling of, I want it, but I don't have it. Mm. Because that's a state of dissatisfaction. No, in this sense, I actually know that what I do want is right here. I've got what I want. The mind is strong enough to do that. And so we have that kind of confidence. And that confidence has got to grow. This is what we mean by shraddha, is that our confidence grows. And as our confidence grows, the doubt. Become, begun, begins to become eradicated. Okay. All right, so the eradication of the doubt is, in fact, again, the overcoming of the doubtful victim into the secure, knowledgeable uh, adult uh, winner or the lion. This is the quality of the, the Buddha is known to be a lion. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is the quality that we're looking at, and that quality is an attitude of being a winner, being on top of it all. And so an expression would be uh, that one of my students said, and this just sounds so beautiful, he said that uh, I've been told everyone is the emperor of their own pile of dirt. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, how true that is, except most of them are, uh, though they may be the emperor, they don't know it because they feel buried under their pile of dirt. Mm-hmm. Well, what is that pile of dirt? The pile of dirt is everything that has been piling up on top of us over the past. It's our literally our past. And all we have to do to get on top of our own pile of dirt is literally come out of the past and come to the here now, and we're, on, and we're on top. The monkeys have come. The monkeys? The monkeys have come. That's why. Hang on. Pumpoy! Pumpoy! 
monkeys right here. <laughs> they are friendly, the monkeys. Hey, I'm, I'm, excuse me, I've got to go take care of this. It's okay. In South Thailand, the monkeys come to collect the coconuts. Oh, I see. I see. I have monkeys in my uh, countryside house. It's like uh, Sagui, the name of the monkeys. And they come visit us. Pardon? Uh, we have uh, monkeys on my countryside house. They are named uh, saguis. They come to eat our fruits, and then they leave. <laughs> These are actually trained monkeys on uh, long wires of about 50 feet long. And oh. that's a, uh, the guy stands on the ground, and the monkey climbs a tree and twists a coconut until Gosh, it uh, gets loose and falls. I see. They're like fetchers. Uh, these are actually kind of baboons. They're Southeast uh -huh. Asian baboons. So the word ling is in Thai language translated into the word monkey. Uh -huh. The reason why I call them baboons is because they've got the shiny butt, a very tiny little tail. Uh, uh -huh. They've got a, a big head with ferocious teeth. I see, I see, I see. <laughs> okay, they really do look like baboons. So. Uh -huh. uh, uh, and they're pets. Uh, yeah, but they're they are pets. friendly. If you want to befriend them, they let you. Uh, that's true uh, to a limited extent. <laughs> if if the monkey is trained that way. Uh huh. But many of them are actually trained as work animals, and only then have a relationship to the people who either uh, work with the animal or uh, uh, keep it as a pet in the house. I see. Military dogs are often like that. Mm-hmm. That when the, when the trainer gets out of the service, they would normally retire the dog so he can go home with that trainer. Mm-hmm. I see. Um, so anyway, um, back to the moment. <laughs> uh, with the practice of Anapanasati, um, it's, a, it's a complete practice and it covers all aspects of one's life with this concept of this idea of let's replace all of the old stuff with something that's new and more relevant so that we see literally through new eyes. 
And when I say see in this way, I'm talking about the way that we perceive things. Mm -hmm. And so um, we'll talk more about that uh, when we talk about it in, because uh, the Buddha has all of this mapped out and uh, uh, the term is called Paticca Samuppada or dependent origination. Yes, yes. Okay, and that the... Uh, uh, the mind works that way. This is what perception is all about. That we, in fact, don't live in reality. We live in a perceived reality. And so how we perceive things. Mm -hmm. um, so the trick is, number one, is to begin to catch that stuff happening and at the other end of it, begin to uh, process with our perception with better material. And so we're talking about it from two different ways. One is through uh, Santi, and the other one is through this, this attitude, this new attitude that we're developing. So that we no longer carry the attitude of being a victim, but rather we now have the attitude of can do. We can do this. Mm -hmm. So this whole feeling uh, that is under the, the name of, uh, in Pali, it's called pity. And pity is actually at, at this highest place, is that it's, the, it's exhilarating but that uh, Pitti and Sukha are very much connected together in the sense that they share a lot of common factors. One of the common factors that they have is the factor of safety and security, satisfaction. But now the, the difference is, is that with this other uh, Pitti added, it has the quality of success, the quality of can-do. When we have both of these working together, this is in fact, um, when, one, when we think about it from this vantage point, this is in fact the actual outcome of becoming secluded from one's hindrances. It really is, wow, I really am free of it. Aha, I do see you and now I'm out of it and wow, what a relief it is. It's the second part of noticing Mara? Yes, the second part of noting Mara is out you go and how good I feel that I can throw it out. Mm -hmm. That this is in fact the most important quality of the Buddha is, is that we can see Mara and throw it out and we feel successful in doing that over and over and over again, and so we build up the habit of being able to successfully see Myra and throw it out, see the okay. hindrances, and get rid of them, okay. so that we can keep a mind more or less free from hindrances. So, now that we're, we're talking about these things, we've actually mentioned it, and so I'll, I'll list it this way, that step five and six of Anapanasati are the ingredients then that we add by the correct practice of gladdening the mind. So the mind works together when we rid the hindrances, then the, then the relief can come because we've done the job of getting rid of the hindrances. 
Mm-hmm. And so we, and so the, it's phrased this way: that it is um, pity and sukha born from the seclusion of these hindrances. Mm-hmm. So we feel really good. We feel successful. In fact, if there is a job to do, this is that job. The job to do is to rid the mind of hindrances. Therefore, once we have, uh, in that moment, rid the mind of hindrances, what job is there left to do? We've done the job. We've finished the work. What a relief it is. So you get my vantage point? This is the whole idea of, and so these three factors together, of pity, sukha, and freedom from the hindrances, uh, are three of the ingredients. The next two ingredients is what is called applied and sustained thought. Well, the question is, well, what are we going to apply the mind to? The answer to that is what we've just been talking about. This is what the mind is applied to, is to, make, is to get ourselves in this state of pitisuka. And then the sustained part is to keep that going. So once we have these things, and by the way, Bhikkhu Buddhadasa talks about uh, this in the sense of having the mind fit for work. I like that phrase, having the mind fit for work. Okay. So with the mind fit for work, one of the ways that we're going to get the mind fit for work is by giving it all of the ingredients it needs to do its job, including air, or more specifically, um, oxygen attached to um, uh, red blood cells. Okay. So, that, uh, so the, uh, a lot of people don't know this, uh, they, uh, the, the medical profession and many, many other professions around really support and support um, exercise for good health. Mm-hmm. One of the ways of doing that is by talking about burning calories. Yeah. And yet they have found that the human body is actually quite efficient in burning calories. Mm-hmm. But the brain uses so much, more than 80% of it all, so when we're exercising the body, we're actually starving the mind of good, good juice. Mm-hmm. That the real issue about exercise is, is that people actually get their breathing going. Mm. And almost any activity will change the breathing method, but the question is, can we manage it correctly all by ourselves without it having to be a one-two punch in the sense of I exercise, therefore I deep breathe, therefore I can think. Because a lot of people talk about that. Yeah, I exercise in the morning and then I uh, take a cold shower and then I feel really bright and energetic and ready to go. Yeah, I know what you've been doing, clown. I'm not going to do that stuff. I can do it differently. It's easy. (laughs) Yeah, I know how to breathe. That's the whole point. Once you get into the cold shower, there's hardly anything left you can do except take a deep breath. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. But that's the point of the cold shower. I didn't knew. I I thought it was like something else because it's so simple. It's about oxygen then. 
So mindful breathing will give me the energy I need. Yes, and if you're working with it well, it will give you a slight tingling sensation. Like alkaline blood? Vibrantly alive. Mm -hmm. And we do this with long, slow, deep breathing. Consciously keep breathing and keep breathing. And soon the body begins to feel quite energized and open. But I have to like take a deep breath for like multiple seconds and then release for like uh, the double of the seconds I needed to take it in. There's many different ways <clears throat> uh, to um, work with the breath like that. Some people use counting numbers. Mm -hmm. um, in the Northeast, they have a technique that also has other benefits we'll talk about later, and that is the automatic fudo. Boo on the in-breath and do on the out-breath. Boo or boo on the in-breath, though I can't. It's like I see. Okay. So this is uh, um, the way of doing it. You can count a little bit if you want. Um, some start at about, um, in, in general, when we count, we count a little faster than once a second. But in the average, or close to it, it's about a second. So when we count to five, we can talk about it as five seconds. Um, so counting to five, on the in-breath and then counting to five on the out-breath and then two seconds between the in-breath and the out-breath. That will take you up to about uh, the count of 12 or in the vicinity of uh, 12 seconds. This is that at about the level of five breaths a minute. Now, that's pretty slow breathing compared to the ordinary breathing of about 20 breaths a minute. So we're actually yeah. bringing yeah. it down to about quarter speed. Mm -hmm. And that, in fact, you can sit and watch other people breathing and just to notice how much slower that you're breathing than, than they are breathing. Because it's actually quite easy to tell how someone's breathing. Just look at them. There they are. <laughs> and, <laughs> but I feel that I can't manage to talk while doing this kind of breathing. Not that I need to talk, but I'm just like seeing you do that. But I, I can't see how you can like breathe that deeply and talk at the same time. <laughs> it might have taken some practice. I think what I'd like <laughs> tuba <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so the the idea then is to begin to do anapanasati each of the steps while we continue to be mindful of the breathing and the way that it's structured is also in the in the point that if it, at this instant of time, if I'm working on step 10 and, step, and I know that I'm working on step 10, then that means that I'm only doing step 10 and step 1 again because I'm mindful now of the long, deep breath. And I'm gladdening the mind. 
or I'm with that long deep breath developing sukkah. Wow, this feels so good. What a nice day this is. Or uh, having the thoughts of, I can do this. Now, we're not saying that this is a thoughtless state. This is an active thought yeah, system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thinking is directed intentionally. Yes. We're going to start to control what kind of think thoughts we have. And one of the kinds of thoughts we're not going to have is, wow, what a schmuck I am for doing this stuff. I, I really wish I hadn't gotten talked into it. I hate this retreat. I want out of here. <laughs> because those are the very thoughts that some people have in that meditation hall, right? And it's just not helpful at all to developing a bright, clear mind. It's a complaining mind, and we get into yeah. complaining a lot. Yeah. So check it out. Make sure that you're not complaining about anything in your own mind. I see. Because, in fact, one of the ways of saying it is, is that complaining is nothing but the, uh, uh, the mentally verbal manifestation in conceptualized form of uh, the expression of how dissatisfied I am, how I feel dissatisfied. Yes. And so when we recognize that we're complaining, we can say, wait a minute, kid, you don't have to feel that way. There's no reason to complain. For instance, if the bank done you wrong yesterday, there's no reason to keep thinking about the bank done you wrong. I like to pick on the bank. I think everybody yeah. likes to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's the way that, that we have is, is that we get into a state of complaining and um, problem solving and job doing and uh, to-do list making. And mm -hmm. we spend a whole lot of our time doing that when it's quite unnecessary. We're either doing the job or we're thinking about doing the job. And my recommendation is, is that while you're not doing the job, why think about it? And when you are thinking uh, doing the job, please do Think about, what, think about what you're doing. And so um, this, these qualities that we have talked about intentionally, the eradication of the hindrance by throwing it out, the development of the sukha, the development of the pity, and getting that uh, the mind really fit for work so that you can apply it to doing this stuff and then keep it going this is, in fact, the, the jhana factors of first jhana. Okay. Anapanasati's job, when practiced correctly, takes the student directly into first jhana. Which is a bright, beautiful place to be. It's not a deep place. This is not deep. <laughs> this is... This is up there, top quality. <laughs> I see. And so, uh, when you understand Anapanasati this way in a slightly different uh, um, and deeper method, you can also see that this is nothing but the application of the Eightfold Noble Path. 
of changing one's uh, views about things, getting new information in, continue to get information, continue and continue to get information, right? Go on an information scavenging hunt in the sense that we become kind of curious about things, curious about the Dhamma, in fact. And so we want to know more and more. We want a global overall view. We want to know every territory, etc. And so this is the quality of being kind of on the search or on the hunt. So this is one's right view. And that's what led you to me in the first place, was that, that noble hunt that we're on. And so this is one's right view. One's right attitude is, got ya. Got you, Mara. Uh-huh. Not just I got you, Myra, but uh-huh, I've got the technique. I've got the way of doing it. I've got the sukha. I've got the rapture. I've got the pleasure. I've got the uh, uh, freedom from hindrance. I've got the bright, shining mind that I can apply and sustain and keep it focused on what I want it on. Now, that's, you know, if many people, they, uh, the, the child's game of getting free wishes... Very few people would ever wish for having a bright, shining mind that they could count on to be able to see what's really going on. And yet this is the state of first jhana. It's a clear, yeah. clear-minded state, and we can check out what's going on. It's a very high status. And so your job is to be able to get into that state and then eventually learn how to sustain it. Now, actually, the description of this of getting into it is what we've been talking about for the past few hours. But sustaining it is really easy to talk about. Because all we have to do to sustain this state is make sure that our thoughts are sustained and wholesome in the here now. Because if we have thoughts about the past or the future, we will come out of that state of jhana. Now we're back into the state of hindrances. And so the first job to do is to become skilled at getting into the first jhana. And then the second task is to become skilled at being able to maintain it. Now in that, in that regard, that means that we're really getting a high degree of sati going to keep remembering to be here keep remembering to not let that stuff go, to keep remembering this long, deep breath, to keep remembering this out long uh, breath. Okay, so we've got a lot of stuff to keep track of, and we can do it with a plum and finesse, because we're the champions of this old body. We're emperors of this pile of dirt. So It's so much easier to be positive when you're, like, on this kind of breathing. It's like... So much easier. There's no comparison to like, and I don't know why these states are so attached to each other. Like, the breathing with the state of my mind, I can't see to fetch the connection. It's the oxygen. I I don't understand the relationship. To be honest with you, the motor out there is really tough on these old ears. Can you uh, repeat what you just said? Yes, of course. I said that's so much easier to be like, just to feel good when you're taking deep breaths than when you're not. That is 
It's like a switch. More like a volume knob that you turn on for like a couple minutes and there you are. Uh-huh. It can seem just like a switch because in fact, that's the way that the Buddha described it. Dukkha, Dukkha, Naroda. Yes. It's come out of the ordinary, come into this bright shining state of uh, satisfaction. Yes. So you're right. And you're beginning to experience that with the breathing. Yes. That that's that's the training. That's the real training. This and it takes some effort in the beginning. And and if we have the right attitude, then we'll have the right effort. All we have to do is remember. And to come back and practice. This is why we do this many times a day and even more so. So keep keep going with it like that. Okay. And we'll and we'll progress uh, slowly. But this is the this is the correct method. You've got it. I've actually given you the key is is that this practice that I'm teaching you is intended and designed to take the student right into first jhana. Because it's got exactly the ingredients that we're working on. Okay. Okay. These, these things that I've been talking about all are the key issues of the first jhana, and they also are right there embedded directly in the Anapanasati, as if to point out that Anapanasati here is, in fact, the method of getting into first jhana recommended by the Buddha. And I will know if I get the first jhana. It's like something that I can point to. It's like over time, yes, over time you will recognize it more and more. You can come to the point of understanding that you really like it, that when you're in a state, I really like this. Mm -hmm. Then you can say, this is first jhana, because I really, really like this state. I can, I can keep it for a while. Okay. Um, another way of looking at it also is by saying, this is for third noble truth. This is a state that I really am free from suffering. <laughs> it's almost yes. like a beautiful surprise. I really am free from suffering right now. I've got nothing going. Everything's okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and so that yippee kayo kaye feeling is also built into it. Zippity doodah. Okay. Or, or, or like the James Brown meditation. I feel good. Okay, it has that kind of exhilarating quality to it that we can add. This is actually the aspect of pity. To really enjoy the fact that we're, we're successful at something really important. Getting in and maintaining that first jhana, that is, wow, what an important thing. So it takes like... Uh, years to the, the state of the first jhana? No, so do it like... after, after the finish of this call, sit down and do it. Okay. And I I must sit and like keep deep breathing until I'm there? Well, no, not so much as to keep breathing until you're there, but talk yourself directly into it. This is using the thoughts and using the gladdening of the mind with thinking 
to take you into, I can do this. Tell yourself, you can do it, that you're the winner. Repeat the Thank language you. that I've been using over and over. I can do this. I really can. <laughs> yes, so you got it. That's the view that we're looking for. <laughs> okay. So that's it. I mean, you just did it. <laughs> The laughter is optional. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I rather have it. <laughs> so now you know what we're talking about. This is that state. This is first jhana. Getting yourself into first jhana is a marvelous platform to follow Dhamma. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we'll cut this short because of this noise out here, and I will uh, see you in a couple of three days. Okay, no problem. Thank you All so right. much again. You keep going with what you're doing right now, and you'll be good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye.